So I am so, so excited to have TK Wonder and her sister, Cipriana. I don't want to call you guys the Quan sisters, but mega entrepreneur. Oh, oh okay, great. Um, uh, as our Spilling Chai season five premiere guests. So I have so much to say. I'm going to try not to, you know, majorly fangirl over the both of you. But um, let's go back way to the beginning first. Uh, tell me about starting Urban Bush Babes. What was your initial vision for, sorry, go ahead. The initial vision, what was it for, you know, what was really kind of the start of your brand? Well, before you start, Supra, I just want to say thank you for having us. We're honored to be on your podcast. Yes. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, going to your first question, Urban Bush Babes actually co-founded with another young lady in 2011. And I had just left the modeling industry. I was a model for a really long time and dealt with so many different stereotypes and roles and struggles, and especially being a, a Black woman in the beauty and fashion industry. It was quite different before 2011. Um, it's great to see things are changing. Still a lot of things I need to be changed, but, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but I co-founded this website to basically put up content within the social world, the virtual world, uh, content that I wasn't seeing in mainstream media, especially regarding Black women and women of color, and specifically regarding reality TV. So we focused a lot on women just showing the plethora of what Black women and women of color could be. And then about two years within that website working on it, then Vogue found me and did a little 24-hour documentary in the day in the life of what I do and the website. And from that, I had a lot of press because I was featured on that on the U.S. Vogue. And then TK and I did an editorial together in U.S. Vogue magazine uh, shortly after that featured us as you know, our bond, the twin sisters, and then we were featured online in a big story that I wrote. I was actually signed on as a contributing writer to Vogue.com, but TK and I have worked together so much in fashion. We, when we attended our first fashion week together, we had so much press because we were identical twins, but we had our each individual style. So and we weren't wearing name brand or Kapoor. We were wearing yeah. vintage and thrift shop pieces, yes. which I was always, <clears throat> I kind of liked the way that we entered the fashion industry because we didn't have any connections. We didn't know anyone. And we entered it in with our own style and our own vibe. And I think it really resonated with a lot of people because a lot of people love fashion. They love couture, but they think wearing big name brands is what makes you stylish. And I think that we were showing this other perspective that you can wear whatever you want. It doesn't matter the label or the name and still be stylish. And I liked how we came up within the fashion industry sort of from those origins. I love how your brand is so uh, authentic and your brand is so authentic because you guys are so authentic. There's such a famous quote, which is there's one thing to, you know, be fashionable, but it's another thing to have a sense of style, a genuine sense of style, blanking on the lady's name, but um, um, it is true. And I can't, you know what, you just pointed out, Cipriana, another thing that we have in common, which is 
stereotypes and starting your own platform because uh, Black women are not a monolith. <laughs> the start of my career, it was all like, why are Muslims terrorists? And, you know, because it was way back, right after 9-11 happened. And I was like, I cannot speak for all Muslim women. First of all, I'm a semi-alcoholic Muslim woman. And third of all, there's like 1.4 billion of light alcoholic lights. <laughs> TK has been out with me. She can know, but, you know, off the record. Hang with you, so man. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that was so much fun. Okay. On, so my next question is from modeling to TK, your singing to designing your sunglasses to now cooking. Why a cooking show and why now? And also, who's the better cook? I feel like TK might be Cipriana. I don't know. She's definitely healthier, right? You guessed that. Why are you so healthy? It's a good thing. I know. 100%. You guessed it right. See, Brianna is a much better cook. I mean, I can cook. I just don't like doing it. I Me too. The eating part. But see, Brianna's really great at the cooking part as oh, well. So it's an art. You know, she's really good at it. But the main reason that we started the show is we wanted to connect with our audience, as see, Brianna said, in a longer form. Mm -hmm. So Instagram and, you know, TikTok doesn't afford us the platform where we can connect with our audience um, in a longer duration. It's very mm -hmm. quick. We live in this age where everyone wants to be viral. So we create content to be viral. And I don't feel like they, some people don't connect. They don't create, create content to connect with people. It's all about these viral moments. And we wanted something that really connected with our audience. Uh, particularly talking about the things that we're passionate about because one of the main platforms within the fashion industry that we were very, very um, huge advocates, colossal advocates for diversity and inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone likes to have a cause, I say, but when you take on a cause, it's a lifelong commitment. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, it's very trendy now to have a cause and I'm not, you know, bad talking or, you know, trying to downplay anyone's, anyone championing for a cause. But sometimes I think some people do it to like, oh, because it's trendy to have a cause, it looks good. Yeah. But a lot of times these causes need lifelong commitment. And this is something that we've been very passionate about because we face a lot of racism growing up in Maryland. Uh, and I face racism in New York as well, everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, every, we were always very passionate about diversity. So we wanted to start um, Two on Something to talk about all these things we're passionate about, including... Uh, the violence and abuse that we went through as children. It's a responsibility. Oh, sorry. It's a responsibility when you take up a cause, right? It's not sorry. just turn the page. Sorry, Cipriana. Yes. Oh, no, no. I just actually wanted to address your question when you asked, like, you know, why am I so healthy? <laughs> it's, it's sorry. I went on another tangent, but. Yeah. I know because of your sugar habit, right? <laughs> No, but it was from your sugar habit, right? That you used to kind of deal with your childhood yeah. trauma. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm an emotional eater. So, you know, of course, I emotionally eat with uh, and sweet tooth. So I love desserts and sugar. You know, it wasn't like I was emotionally eating with broccoli or spinach <laughs> it usually isn't it usually isn't kale guys for nobody <laughs> maybe a bunny rabbit <laughs> maybe a white bunny rabbit 
<laughs> Definitely not for us. Who's <laughs> emotionally eating unhealthy food? Yes. Right. So I was a big emotional eater and then I actually had wind up having diabetes from that. So I was going blind. Had high oh my gosh. I was 50 pounds overweight. I was going numb in my hands and feet because of nerve damage. And I changed it all around with diet and exercise. And so for the past, like, you know, 10 years, I've been on a, you know, six day a week fitness routine, making sure I eat healthy. And yeah, I mean, I still eat everything in moderation of foods I still love, but mostly during the week, it's, you know, that whole food plant life. <laughs> well, oh my, well, you know what, first of all, good for you and congratulations. But I was reading about how you use sugar to, you know, for immediate gratification. Um, so many of our viewers, uh, well, you guys are so huge. <laughs> so many of your followers, of course, already know um, about the trauma that both of you faced um, in your childhood together. Um, first of all, I want to commend you because, uh, you know, you know, people are always like, oh, you're so badass and you're so brave. But I look at your story and I'm like, wow, it takes a lot. There's so much trauma in my life that I'm still processing. <laughs> and I'm almost 43 and a, and a mom of two. But I would love, uh, I wanted to talk to you both about finding trauma and healing in unlikely places. Um, TK, you said about Dr. Stephanie Dumanian, that quote, this was in the cut um, story about you both, quote, it was the first time in my life I had ever experienced meeting a doctor who didn't judge, who listened and had compassion. And um, another thing we have in common is our shared message with the both of you that I have in common uh, of the importance of women of color, especially uh, finding health care they need without judgment. Uh, talk to me more about that, because this goes back, obviously, to your dental health, but also large. But yeah, tell me tell me your your point of view about who knew you would find the healing you needed at the dentist. <laughs> I didn't. And, you know, we had a lot of trauma wrapped around our dental journey as well, which is why I had great trepidation in seeing a dentist and a doctor. Uh, but my dental health was, <laughs> it was debilitating and very quickly because of the way we were raised and our father and his own dental journey, which he neglected. And he had a fear of doctors. And, yeah, he didn't trust doctors, right? You know, he didn't. He didn't. And I wasn't aware that I had picked up those same sentiments. But when I was younger, always seeing male doctors as well, that and I couldn't connect with them because it didn't feel like they were listening, um, especially when I was a young adult and went to a doctor. So when I went to see Dr. Dermanian and we began our dental journey, it was really eye-opening for me because she had something that she went through through her childhood and she was very understanding and compassionate. And there's a lot of great doctors out there, but there's a not there's not as many that have great bedside manner. And I think or that, that listen. Or that listen. That's you part know? of having great bedside manner is listening. That's and, and you know it was hard to find the culmination of the two, which is why when we went to Dr. Domanian, it felt so life-changing because not only that did we change her style, 
um, it changed the way I felt from the inside mm -hmm. out. And I always said, people think that they get dental work because it's a, a aesthetic, aesthetic, but I said that, you know, it changed the way I felt from the inside, inside. not just from the outside. So having that connection with a doctor that was listening and compassionate and didn't judge, understood that we came from a past of trauma, um, because a lot of times uh, some doctors don't delve into why you may be neglecting your health and it may yeah. be attached. So, yeah, I mean, Dr. Dominion was so great the first visit. I actually didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay a little bit longer. And I never thought I would say that about the dentist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've met her. She is, she is really not a regular dentist or woman or human being. But TK, how did you get Cipriana? Uh, no. <laughs> have you ever Wait. seen the film The Little Shop of Horrors? No, I actually haven't, but I know it's like very iconic. Why is there somebody like the doctor in there? There's a scene with a dentist, yeah. and he's like this really scary, <laughs> negligent dentist. So I was played by Steve Martin. He's like, oh. you will be a dentist. Anybody knows The Little Shop of Horrors musical will know what we're talking about. <laughs> Well, that is the stereotype of a dentist, right? With their drill and they're scary and everyone's terrified of the dentist. I actually really like going to the dentist. My father was obsessive about dental care. And now I have two little girls who are so negligent about their teeth. And I'm always like, floss. The best, the best yes, advice my father it. gave me, like floss, work hard. Be educated, yeah. uh, be on time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so my, yes. yes, exactly. So my last question, I'm so grateful, by the way. Thank you guys so much. And I cannot, Sabrina, wait to meet you in person. And TK, that was so yeah, much fun. I will never we forget. Did. We kind of did. We kind of did. Yeah, we kind of did. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what? We yeah. also have to give. <laughs> well, next time I'm up in New York, you know, are you guys going to be out west? Well, this probably shouldn't be on record, but yeah, I hope you come back to the East Coast um, soon. I don't want to announce to your one million combined uh, social media followers <laughs> where your travel plans are. Can't be too paranoid about security these days. My last question, and I hope it's not Australia for the holidays. Oh, oh, really? Oh, really? Is that so? It's a big land. So. <laughs> well, please come back to the East Coast soon. Um, so I hope this question isn't so cheesy, and I know you get asked this all the time. Um, but more about the politics of black hair. You guys did so much for natural hair. I mean, it's really not. Um, it's not even funny, and but still, so many black women don't wear or have the courage or don't want to risk wearing their hair naturally, right? I mean, just just like last week, Michelle Obama, who is now pro promoting her new book, said that she really wanted to wear her hair in braids while she was at the White House, but just because Barack Obama had been. You know, she was like, it, it's too much if I, you know, mm -hmm. we have a black president and the first lady is in, is in braids. And she said that America wasn't ready for it. She just said this last week. And then Audie Cornish, yeah, sorry. And then Audie Cornish on CNN, like earlier this week, said that she's the only black 
person, anchor, uh, on-air personality on CNN, who journalist, who is wearing her hair naturally, and she really thinks about it, the consequences, and she's worried about it. She said this to Laura Coates, who, of course, we all know, uh, doesn't wear her hair naturally, but is also a friend and awesome. So it's 20, almost 2023. I understand that white people are uncomfortable, but do you, can we get over it? And hello, can we get over it? Well, you know, I think there's, I mean, this is such a long conversation. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, this is something that I have a big uh, passion about talking and discussing natural hair. And I think that there's a lot of stereotypes attached to natural hair, a lot of antiquated notions um, what yeah. natural hair represents. Also for Black women, I think I'm not the type of natural who thinks, oh, you know, all Black women need to be natural. A Black woman should wear hair however she wants to wear it. So when she wants to wear a natural, she wants to wear a weave, a wig, she wants to wear a bald, I don't care because I always say, who cares what she has on her head? What's inside of it? Yeah, she treats do what you want. Being compassionate, that's what I care about. I don't care what a woman's hair looks like. And I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to Black hair, focus too much on Black hair. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot to break down in that, but I'll just keep it short. And I do have to say that, you know, also people receiving, you know, black hair, especially our texture, because we have a kinky texture hair. Uh, you know, there's different levels within the natural hair community where some natural hair is more acceptable than others. Like a more coily curl, looser curl is found sometimes more attractive than our texture. Because again, we're going back into history and what is, you know, simulating or the European aesthetic. Yeah, the European idea of beauty. Exactly. exactly. The white standard of beauty. I mean, for all of us. Hello, skin bleaching in South Asia, in India, in Bangladesh. I mean, there's nothing worse you could be than, I mean, it's an insult, right? Our, our uh, In Bangla, the word for dark is moila, which means dirty. You know, and mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff I'm still registering now, like talk about a co post-colonial complex. It's all the, you can but trace it all back to the bread. Yeah, but I do have to say, like, you know, also within communities and accepting like black hair, you know, it also depends on the person because my, the love of my life is from Australia. He's a white man and he loves my hair. He loves my texture. I wrap it up, looks like a big pie, mushroom at night. You know, he thinks it's <laughs> beautiful. So, you know, also depends on the person and how knowledgeable been what parts of the world they travel to so you know we definitely can't say you know all white people because that's true. not all white people yeah but you know but what you mentioned true. about the as well that's a, a big topic to talk about mm -hmm. colorism, colorism. Uh, because it's within the black community as well being accepted of certain styles depending on how light or skin someone is that's a big issue as well i mean that's a lot to break down yeah I don't have that much time. Well, Beyonce that. also talks about that, you know, how she was picked on so much when she was younger. And also, I mean, uh, my husband's always joking with me. He's like, hey, stop talking about women of color all the time. You've lived in America so long. He was like, barely see the sun. You're like white. And I'm like, but I'm a brown woman. <laughs> oh, brown and I'm a woman of color. And you have no idea the experiences that I've had that you haven't just by looking like, you know, even though he's Iranian whole set of problems but being just being able to assimilate more because he looks like a light-skinned uh 
uh, white men, but also refusing, right? Refusing. Like, I don't want to, you know, that movie Passing on Netflix? Like, I don't want to do that anymore. That, yeah. you know, that used to happen during yeah. the British Raj. And no, I will assert, uh, I have taken up so much of your guys' time. Do you guys want to say anything oh, yeah, about... This is so much fun. If we had some cocktails... It's going to be longer. Oh. Well, I really want to quickly say, do you want to say anything more about Chew on this? And what are we chewing on? Are we the chewing on kale? Let's <laughs> chew on something. Again, you know, we began the, the show on the channel to talk about things that we're passionate about, but also combine it with our love of food. Um, because myself personally, I am jumping on a more healthy journey. I, during COVID, I was eating whatever and everything. And I was self-medicating myself with food to feel good. And Weren't we all? Weren't we all? That's all we had. Yeah, and I'm not beating myself up for gaining weight, but I am saying that I can take control of my health journey. And this has been very healing as well, being the channel with my sister. I call her the health master because she knows a lot about health, but it's been a fun journey together. So we combined our love of food and our love of combo and sisterhood together. Of our huge foodies. Oh my God. Well, I wish I could, you know what, I like a lot of spicy food. So I'm always like, I look at what you're cooking up and I'm like, yeah, I could do that with the side of steak on the side. But TK, I feel you like it was out of control. It's okay to indulge, but it was out of control during the pandemic. And then everybody fell off the wagon because all we had was food. People forget, but there was a period of time where you just couldn't leave your house. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I was in trapped three months. Oh, yeah. And then all the restaurants started yeah, delivering everybody. So, oh gosh, flashbacks we do not want. <laughs> all right, guys. I'm having a few now. Oh my God, it was so much fun. So much fun going out for dinner with you in New York. And that was some great food that night, huh? Great food that night. Um, okay. Yeah, it, was, well, it was a great night. It was a great night. And then you share, you know what? Everybody was kind of trying to be proper. And then TK got the burger. And I think you shared it with everybody because by, by 1230, right? got the burger first. Really? Someone else got the burger first. I had oh, it's probably I Melissa's. ordered risotto, which wasn't that good. Oh, I'm going to get the burger when I got the burger. That and is so funny. It. it was delicious. Yeah, it was. Oh, that's so funny. This whole time I'm like, oh, that burger was so good. And it was because of TK. Well, we are so no, excited. <laughs> You're like, that wasn't me. You got the kale. <laughs> the risotto with kale. <laughs> well, thank you ladies both so much. This uh, episode should be up in a couple of days. And yes, of course, I will email you separately on the side. Thank you so much for spilling the chai Thank with you. us and yeah. for your empowering message and for giving me the time and for being our season premiere guest. I will speak to you both soon. Thank you so much. Thank Have you. some kale for me. I'm a happy holiday. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks.